Hit me. Hi, and welcome to Dark Fascination. It's Mary. And April. I hope everyone's well out there. I was um, looking for some stuff to do True Crime Corner today and uh, found what I consider to be one of those stories which is more like a movie. Mm. I can really imagine it as an opening scene of a movie, but like absolutely, unfortunately, it's true. So we thought we'd talk about this local case. So um, you may have heard about Dr. Ari Gershman, who was a doctor from uh, Danville. He and his 15-year-old son, Jack, went off-roading uh, on a trail near Poker Flat in Sierra. So this is kind of an area like north of the Bay Area near Lake Tahoe. I'm very terrible when it comes to um, geography, so feel free to write some hate mail. Um, but I know it's kind of in the, the remote part of the Tahoe National Forest. They kind of pulled over um, as they were unsure where to go. And a man driving in an ATV pulled up behind them and shot them or started shooting at the jeep for no reason yeah so dr gershman he stepped on the accelerator but unfortunately uh one of the shots went through the seat and and killed him he he managed to stop the jeep but his son jack had to escape and ran in the forest to hide oh my gosh and we're talking about like pretty deep dense forest and uh Jack spent the next 30 hours alone, lost in the woods. How old did you say this kid is? 15. Oh, man. That's still quite young. That's still like you're living at home. and There are some pictures of them out there. And, and poor Jack is just like the cutest just teenager in like little hoodie and stuff. Um, but he was out there for 30 hours. He was only wearing a T-shirt and shorts. So he was, you know, just covered in scratches and bug bites when he was rescued. Yeah, I, I mean, fantastically, the police managed to arrest the man after a short police chase on the ATV. But apparently, um, and I don't have much details about the other crime, but he had shot two people who were camping, although both of those two people survived. So this guy's just out in the wilderness, like, hunting for people? Literally just driving around the woods in his ATV shooting at people. So the suspect's name is John Thomas Conway. He lives in Oroville, which is kind of in the gold country, you know, where there are like, you know, people have claims and they like dig for gold and that stuff still happens like by Highway 49 up there. He was arrested after, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a shootout, but it seemed to me that like there was some shooting between Boot County Sheriff's Department and Conway um, and a police dog was uh, released. Um, he does have some outstanding felony warrants for vandalism, battery and uh, making terrorist threats. Oh no, he's going to be in trouble, <laughs> I guess is what I mean by that. <laughs> Absolutely. He's definitely doesn't seem, I mean, obviously he's not been convicted, so we don't know, but he's also had felony vehicle theft charge. He's been in jail before. He uh, has violated his probation. So he doesn't seem like the most upstanding member of society. And I think the saddest part of this whole thing um, is that Dr. Gershman's family, so the Gershmans have had a really tough year because Dr. Gershman's wife, Paige, and, and mother of Jack, 
was diagnosed with um, Hodgkin's lymphoma six weeks ago. Oh, no. So, you know, she's having this terrible time with with cancer and then her husband was just mindlessly shot and then her son was missing for 30 hours. I just cannot imagine what this family have gone through. Um, it was a really recent crime. So, you know, if anyone's out there, I made a little GoFundMe donation to the family. Um, but, yeah, any support and good vibes, I think, go the way of the Gershmans because I just cannot imagine... Uh, what they're going through. Horrendous. I'm, I'm happy that Jack was able to run away and it sounds like a harrowing experience. I mean, it's really rough out there on those, you know, you've got your kind of like resorts and stuff, of course, around Tahoe, but those woods can get pretty dense and isolated and it's just not a lot out there. So good on him for surviving and kind of instincts kicking in and fleeing and taking com- um, cover. But uh, what a tragic story. This is why I won't go camping. Well, I don't think this happens all the time, but this is definitely an odd kind of case. I've been out there camping a bit and, um, you know, it's always crossing your mind. Uh, you feel vulnerable. You do feel vulnerable. And like, this is wild. This guy's on an ATV and he's what, got like a rifle or something. And he's yeah. just like, in the movie version, he's shooting and driving an ATV, which is just like crazy, ridiculous. So um, I'm guessing he kind of stopped and decided to to take on this Jeep, but... You're right. It's very cinematic kind of, because this is wild. This is bonkers. Like, who does this? This is one of the most bananas things, because I think it's one of those things that you kind of imagine happens fairly frequently in like a weird kind of, like you see it in movies and TV shows. Like, I'm pretty sure this is an episode of Criminal Minds. But then when it actually happens, happens, and it happens in like Boot County, I was like really shocked and surprised by it for him to have shot at some campers and then at a Jeep. I mean, I think if you're saying terrorist threats in the past and stuff like that, then he probably wasn't mentally competent, although competence is a weird word, but mentally all there, which has kind of driven some of these crimes. But I just can't imagine the idea that like how safe you could feel like in your own car driving around in their Jeep. And then, you know, for this to happen, um, I think it's just really shocking. I think the idea of you're out there, there's guns, maybe wilderness makes people think this kind of thing happens all the time. But this to me is on on par with like a highway shooting or something where it doesn't happen all the time. And you're shocked because you're just I'm I'm angry at traffic. I'm enjoying the peaceful outdoors. And then all of a sudden this shattering and um, crazy thing happens. So to be fair, you were in a highway shooting like a year and a half ago. <laughs> so I think it was a little bit longer than that, but yes. While we were at work. <laughs> <laughs> of. I mean, I, you're right. <laughs> I had gone to the, the local wine and spirits shop down the street with a couple of coworkers. We were getting some more um, holiday booze for the Christmas party. And when we came out, there was a, a gunfire and, uh, you know, uh, someone had chased someone off the freeway and was shooting at them and there was gunfire exchanged. And we ran over to try to see if there were victims that we could maybe help with first aid. But I want to be extra clear. I was not in the actual, like, I was not shooting nor being shot at in a car. So (laughs) um, my previous comment about road rage aside, all I do is maybe flip the bird every once in a while. So maybe not the best example on my part is what you were trying to say. (laughs) 
I think I'm very resistant to the idea of you convincing me that camping is safe. And so I threw out the example of like, well, highway shootings are fairly common. You were in one <laughs> while we were at work together. True, true, true. <laughs> so you literally went, I'm going to go get more booze. I'll be back in a bit. And then came back with, there was a short highway shooting. <laughs> it's like, what the f- is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what happened. I mean, but to be fair, I've gone sh- I've gone camping many times, and I've never been shot at while camping, but I have been shot at while going for booze at the at the at the booze store. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely it was definitely an interesting. I was pretty new to the company; it was my first Christmas party, and I was like, "Wow, uh, these guys know how to party." And then someone else on my team was like. And before you guys had come back, someone on my team came up to me and was like, I have to leave. My wife is in a highway shooting. <laughs> yes. And yes. I was like, okay, I I can't really argue with that. Where have I come to? <laughs> See Should you. I be concerned? <laughs> Bye. I hope she's okay. And then you and uh, our various colleagues came back going, we were in a shooting. And I was like, the same one? And what, what's happening? To be fair, we uh, worked for a very prestigious company that had probably the worst office <laughs> anybody could ever have. It was so dodgy. The location was not ideal. I just want to drop one thing about working in that office, which is that one of our co-workers on, while walking to work one day discovered uh, or saw an entire suitcase full of human excrement. A suitcase. <laughs> I mean, what would you put it in, Mary, if you were trying to travel? It's true. I I, I never saw that. I did see two uh, people going at it on a roundabout <laughs> while I was getting a sandwich one day. <laughs> and the cars were just circling them. <laughs> You know, uh, San Francisco is a little bit of a, it's a kinky place, you know? And they were like, and they weren't subtle about it. They were pretty much butt naked and just, and the cars were just driving around. And then I was just like, oh, I'll have a chicken salad, please. You might've been the only person who noticed, to be fair. Maybe, maybe. I do have a keen observational skill. I mean, the shooting aside, the roundabout aside, the suitcase aside, I mean, there were people who were attacked out front, at, like one-on-one attacked with um, like shivs and things. This this was very close to, uh, practically under a bridge, uh, a very large bridge, and there was a lot of drug activity and things like that. And um, so, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I feel like on the trauma scale, you know. Yeah, what I really... What I really liked about that office is it was a real intersection of kind of various different parts of society. The story I tell, which is my favourite one, which really indicates how we're living in literal brave new world dystopia, is that I was uh, walking to my Uber because obviously I would never walk around there because it was so dangerous. And um, a kind of young man in full kind of Silicon Valley regalia, i.e. some kind of North Face vest and uh, an Apple Watch and rolled up sleeves. and um, Yeah, it was all birds, actually. And those uh, really weird dress pants, which have like flowers embroidered inside of them. How, wait, how did you know what was in his pants? No, I mean, that was the brand. I didn't see inside of his pants. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing it on the roundabout. Okay, you didn't take him to the roundabout, got it. No, he uh, walks up to a guy outside of a tent and uh, the guy uh, opens uh, opens the tent. The guy picks out a bicycle, a very expensive bicycle that was in there and then um, pays with it using square pay. So like the guy, the homeless guy running a chop shop <laughs> pulls out one of the square square pay things attaches it to his iphone and the the like guy like swipes it and so he literally used square pay to buy a stolen bicycle for a homeless man under an overpass <laughs> whose front door was a flap in a tent and uh and then my uber came and i got the fuck out of there <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, let it be said, we are on the forefront of technology. I mean, it. Absolutely. And uh, when we talk about the idea of like coastal elites and not understanding different problems that people face, I think about that moment often. Yes. It's a confusing time. (laughs) It's a confusing time and a confusing place. We're on the same like three corners. You know, you had like billion dollar tech companies and you had bicycle chop shops that you could also use billion dollar payment technology and also a suitcase full of human poo if anything describes san francisco it's probably that (laughs) i think we should draw that and maybe give her that could be a t-shirt that could be a t-shirt i love san francisco but yeah it's definitely a bonkers bonkers place to live i'm glad i got to see it it's like seeing the last days of rome Oh, no, I the, didn't see the, the suitcase. The, the best part about the suitcase was the colleague who happened to see it. Basically, she was the neatest, preppiest, Ivy League educated, most never even considered that that could be something that anybody would do person. So the, the real pleasure I got was making her tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's worse, the suitcase. Case pooper or you for subjecting her to this. But it was so good. Have everything about her like normally very calm face, uh, and obviously was just so horrified by it. Uh, whereas you know, like I was from London, so I'm not saying I see have seen many suitcases full of poo, but I've uh, seen some pretty bad shit. Pun intended. Well. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to the real murders. Sorry, skippers, if you're skipping past all the rubbish, we're (laughs) now going to talk about it. Although, to be fair, these are all crimes, probably. These are all crimes. And I'm sorry, these are some pretty interesting ones. This isn't your hold-up, stick-up kind of 7-Eleven burglary. I would say you've got your 7-Eleven hold-ups for the register, and then you've got your suitcases full of human excrement. And then you've got your regular public nudity and then you've got just like doing it on a roundabout in the middle of the day while other people are trying to get salad in that same strip with that roundabout and everything there's the helicopter man who just stands on the side of the road and for hours he's butt naked and he does what's commonly known uh, as the helicopter where he gyrates his hips to swing his genitalia around like a helicopter blade doesn't that hurt? I, I'm guessing he might have been on some kind of stimulants or something where maybe he wasn't feeling the effects. <laughs> maybe he was sore the next day. Maybe. Well, you got like DOMS, delayed onset muscle strain. 
chafing maybe chafing i don't know i'm not a fan of that maneuver i wasn't until i saw the pure joy <laughs> that this man exuded from every fiber of his being i've never seen someone more alive until i saw this man maybe maybe it was him on the roundabout and he finally found his helicopter landing pad oh i'd like I to think so now i think I'm it's sorry. love and i feel better about it because i i do <laughs> I do love a bit of love. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm choosing to believe that was, you know, a, a lovely moment for them. Soulmates. They were just taken away by their intense, passionate, finding the right person. I think there's a theme here. Round, round and round she goes. Yeah. It's how very similar to how I met my husband. <laughs> I think that might be a, a true crime story for another day. <laughs> All right. Skippers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For realsies, we're going to start the crime. Yes. So this one, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna entertain you with this tale this week. Uh, it's a pretty popular story. You may have heard about it. Uh, have you heard of Arthur Shawcross? I haven't actually. Like you okay. sent it to me, and I was like, well, you sent me the text, and I was like, ooh. Yeah, I, I said I'm gonna do Arthur one. Shawcross. Yeah. Some people know about him. Some don't. Uh, just because he's he's got some pretty interesting. Uh, uh, he, he's, he's kind of popular because of the amount and the time and all this stuff. So we'll get into it here. But most of his crimes took place in the 80s. He started out around the 70s. And then we'll hear why it spans so long. But he was known as the Genesee River Killer. And this is in New York, mostly. And uh, it's discovered he killed at least 14 people um, that we know of. 14? 14. And unfortunately for all of this, but uh, two of them were very small children. Oh, no. Yeah. And one of the most controversial things about his story is that he only served 14 years for those two child murders. What? And then, yeah. And he was released and then went on to kill at least 12 more women that we know of. And there's even more to the story than that. It's pretty, it, it's a fascinating. And I think if nothing else, we've, we've learned a lot from his story. So I want to, wanted to share it with you. <clears throat> so he was raised in Watertown, New York. By all accounts, he was a difficult child. He was a bedwetter, which we know is part of the McDonald triad of behaviors often present in the histories of serial offenders. I believe it's bedwetting, arson, and cruelty to animals. So he definitely checked that box. He was a bully to other school children. Um, he was definitely like, didn't deal with stress. He was actually could focus and do well in school, but it was a very difficult thing for him. And if, if there was any disruption, all, all bets are off and he's acting out. And uh, and then it was discovered that he, they actually test him. He had below average intelligence. So it seemed like he might be able to find a way out if he was in a strict regimen, but any amount of stress, any kind of social stress, and he would just lose it. So he didn't really have like a great childhood, but, you know, he wasn't abused. Um, he kind of made some claims like that. But for all accounts, when they investigated, he had a pretty normal childhood as, in terms of being how he was raised. It sounds like like a fairly normal childhood yeah i think it's really tragic because like you said if, i mean was this like the 50s he and 60s he's you know they don't know enough about these things they don't have the resources um to deal with this kind of stuff and so they just kind of lump him in with everybody else and say oh you're a bad kid and you just need to do better and he needs help he needs real help on a lot of different vectors Psychiatric help you would have got in the 50s probably wouldn't even have been very helpful anyway. I'm so, so, so glad that the world is starting to move towards the idea that mental health is an illness like any other illness. Like, 
if you had cancer, nobody would be like, think positively and get more exercise. It's like, yes, those things do help, but like also you just need actual medical treatment to feel better. Oh, poor baby. Even though he's a murderer, so I won't feel too sorry for him. Yeah, he definitely, there were some, uh, you know, I don't know if failures is the right word, but there were definitely some problems with his care that we'll see. And it it really starts to kick in. Um, so he actually went to Vietnam at the age of 21. This is where we get some of the kind of strange stuff really starts to come out. He He claims that he did all these horrible things in Vietnam, that he was cutting off heads and putting them on poles and sexually and violently degrading, especially women um, and Viet Cong. And just these stories are, are like gut wrenching, horrible. But according to his military record, uh, he never saw combat and he was working more in like a supply and maintenance area. So he's kind of got this like exaggerated sense of. Like a bit of stolen valor there. Yeah. And it's maybe a way for him to express some of his odd and disgusting kind of... Yeah, are these more like fantasies, like things he would have liked to have done out there? I mean, let's get real, like, some pretty, pretty, pretty terrible things happened out there. Um, like maybe maybe there were stories that other people told him? Yeah, I just feel like what who who says they didn't they did those things? Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I was like, especially but if they wait, didn't. he was like, who boasts about that? You've got right. to be pretty. Yeah, not trying to erase the things that did happen, but everyone's pretty sure based on his records, the uh, testimony of people who served with him, that he never saw a day of like actual combat. He claims he would go out at night and like slip out and and do these things and try to protect the camp but i mean all this just sounds very you know uh it sounds very exaggerated exaggerated yeah and again who's claiming to do these things like who's like i'm proud of this i'm not gonna say that those things didn't happen because i'm sure that they did but i do think that like that stuff tended to happen in smaller villages and away from the bases i think if someone was like putting people's heads on pikes like right next to base people would be like isn't that a war crime like should we be doing that maybe i'm giving them too much credit i don't actually know i would like to think that that would be unacceptable uh and uh, especially as a lone actor i understand there was a lot of mob mentality kind of terrible things that were occurred but um it's a strange thing to do i think i think it's a i think it's a super strange thing to do and and i would also say that who were these people? Like, it's one thing that if you're in a kind of combat situation and it's a completely different thing if, like, it's nighttime and you've just left your bed and then you're, like, just prowling around, like, you're just a murderer. So either way, you're boasting about whether you did or didn't do this, you're leaving, you're, this is not a military action, this is just you being a, a, a murderer and then boasting about it, so. yeah. Um, very not cool. Uh, so, you know, he only did one tour of duty. And then after that, he decided to stay on with the army. He was, uh, working in Oklahoma base in, uh, in the armory, uh, supplying and putting together weapons. He married a young woman there in Oklahoma on that base. And, um, she encouraged him to start seeing the army psychiatrist. 
good for her yeah uh i mean maybe you know we'll chalk it up to you didn't really know folks that well but you know she definitely called it when she started to see things like he definitely he was uh starting a lot of fires so here we go check number two on the mcdonald uh triad so the psychiatrist uh talks to him confirms he's sexually aroused by starting fires wait 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 wait. so you meet a man and you marry him Mm. and he starts setting fires and you're like i think you should see someone honey yeah i mean (laughs) i mean this isn't in the hearth this isn't you know on the barbecue this is you know i like to burn down buildings and things it's my viagra yeah yeah okay i think i'd uh i think i'd divorce court the shit out of this guy well, not long after, they move to upstate New York and she divorces him. <laughs> Good for her. Lucky escape. <laughs> Good for her. Get the fuck out of there. He is not an easy guy, as we'll find out. So um, so he keeps doing, uh, I think with this newfound freedom, not being kind of uh, having someone look over his shoulder, look after him, he uh, starts committing burglars as well. He continues to start fires. Um, and he gets caught and he serves 22 months for these burglaries and arson. And, uh, in 1971, he's released. So he, he does almost two years in jail. Wait, wait. So, okay. So, so you can go to an army psychiatrist and be like, Hey, I'm setting a load of fires to things like buildings and stuff. And psychiatrists can go, Oh yeah, I'm going to diagnose you with the idea that you're sexually aroused by starting fires and that's just fine he, I, too much, I mean they didn't put him in prison or anything at right that time. isn't arson like illegal shouldn't they've done something about that i feel that they should have i don't know <laughs> if that's changed since then i don't know if you could chalk this up to the late 60s um <laughs> people are just like you know this seems like it's a problem you should get more help for this but i can't do anything about it you're not allowed, I mean, obviously you're allowed to, you can say whatever you want to your psychiatrist, but I do believe that if you say anything that they think is going to harm yourself or others, they are mandatory reporters at that point, right? Maybe that wasn't a thing back in the 60s. Yeah. It could also be that he was, you know, hiding the scale. Like he was just like, I just love starting fires to like my woodshed or whatever, but I'm not hurting people and I'm not committing like full on arson in his words. Maybe he was like, I just love burning the morning paper i don't know are these euphemisms yes of course <laughs> I, I burn my woodshed i love burning the morning paper i'm trying to find like things that would ignite and i didn't realize i was going down that maybe i should see on army cycle <laughs> <laughs> you're not allowed to come over anymore oh. fair enough probably for the best she divorced me like she divorced him so um she called it right and with that freedom he gets locked up but he gets out so then he moves back to his hometown of waterton so he goes from another area of upstate new york all the way back to watertown and um this is you know he's he firmly establishes himself as the town weirdo he's riding this bicycle with like cart kind of thing on the back and he's able to drive but he won't um and he just rides this bicycle everywhere which i mean Okay, I'm maybe being a little hard, but like... It does sound like my husband. (laughs) 
Um, but he's also kind of like, he's not good at social interaction and that would add to it. So people are just kind of like, who's this adult who doesn't do any of the adult things that we expect at this time. And he's just kind of antisocial and, and weird and also riding this bike creepily through town, especially at night. Um, oh, that's weird. Yeah. There's, there's something really unsavory about riding a bicycle at night. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. It feels like that music just plays along no matter where you go. Yeah. So let me be clear. I'm not saying that like riding a bicycle is like a weird thing to do. I ride a bicycle, but when you're, everyone's kind of looking at you going like, Hey, are you a nice friendly bicycle riding guy? And he's like, no, I'm a total weirdo who can't interact. Um, and I make things especially awkward. That was kind of the deal. So um, I guess I should say he stands out because everyone starts to know him as the bicycle guy. Right. And I think also we're talking about what early seventies, late sixties. And I think it was particularly in small towns, more normal that people fit in. Right. Like towns were a little bit more gossipy towns were a little bit more like, this is what we do here. If you don't like this piss off. Um, and I can imagine it was a little bit more like of a conformist culture than it is now. I mean, like in San Francisco, you can stand on a corner and helicopter your dick for two days and no one really <laughs> blinks. Um, riding your bicycle at night, probably not high on the list of weird things that they do. But right. I, I... <laughs> Back then, though, Back they were then. equivalent or the equal on, on standing. Well, in addition to that, he, he does a lot of fishing in the local streams and rivers, and he definitely seems to get along a lot with the local kids. He's always like playing sports with them and hanging out with them. And uh, he's always inviting them to fish with him on the banks of the local uh, streams and rivers. So he doesn't seem to get along with adults. He does seem to enjoy the company of children. Huh. Yeah. And this is where it starts to get especially dark. Uh, so he did lure a 10-year-old named Jacqueline Blake into the woods. He raped and murdered him and uh, left the remains out there in the woods. Um, they found the body um, and they were able to you know, tell that these crimes had occurred. Um, there was mutilation. Um, and then even just a few days before the body was found uh, in the timeline here, he committed another crime. So he committed this crime, then the body of the previous crime was found. And that was, um, he had raped another child and murdered eight-year-old Karen Ann Hill. And he left her body under a bridge in town. So they kind of had this large, like, um, bridge where water would flow down and kind of maybe like a dam situation at some point. And there was a little platform underneath and he had uh, taken her down there and left her on that platform. So he raped and killed these two children within days of each other. Right. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. And he doesn't seem to have much, he doesn't have a very specific victim, right? So one was a boy, one was a girl, they were different ages. Similar, yeah, eight and 10, so not that far apart in the age, so maybe that's a factor, but um, yeah, you would think maybe it's a gender profile or something like that, but um, yeah, similar crime committed. Yeah. Very Class day shit bag. Absolute yep. shit bag. But because he had kind of stuck out 
in town. Uh, witnesses saw his bicycle um, around the areas. Uh, they pointed police to him. Um, and when they questioned him, he eventually confessed the pressure of yeah. that. People were like, have you talked to the town weirdo? He rides his bicycle around at night. Yeah. <laughs> he hangs exactly. out with the children. Don't the fuck ask him what happened in Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> um, and don't give him any matches. So don't invite him over to your woodshed. <laughs> He loves his morning paper. <laughs> oh no. Um, so here's where it gets starts like things start getting a little hinky with the justice system. Because there was no direct evidence linking him to the murders, only his confession, he was allowed to plead guilty to manslaughter and was only uh given 25 years in prison. Yeah. What so if you confess to murdering somebody and there's no evidence linking you to the crime, you can only be convicted of manslaughter. No, they gave him that deal. They said, uh, if if you officially confess, we'll drop it down to manslaughter because they couldn't make their case otherwise. They they got no freaking evidence on him. Yeah. Are we sure it was him? I guess that's a possibility, but he definitely did confess to it. And but he's he also a crazy weirdo. Yeah. So, and who confessed to other crimes? So, and yeah, and he said he murdered a load of That's people. An interesting in... point. But he did. He did serve some time for it. So, I, I guess my only question is: is that he, is that he doesn't kill any more children, does he? He moves to women. I mean, I'm going to find out. I guess. Yeah, I did kind of mention that. Yeah, earlier. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's a thing. I think based off of some of the later confessions, you'll hear more about, and it seems likely that he did it. And I was reading this book, um, Misbegotten Son by Jack Olson. And he, I, I, I want to say that he talked about what he did there and, and things matched up. Okay. And, and you'll see definitely some of his later crimes, things definitely match up as well that he confesses to. This one could be a little iffy. I could, I could give you that. So... Um, so even though he's supposed to serve at least 25 years, he gets out after 14 and this is prison Why? officials and social workers are saying, oh, he's, he seems healed. He seems rehabilitated. We don't think he'll reoffend. And psychiatrists are saying he's definitely going to reoffend. Don't do this. We highly recommend against this, but the prison officials and social workers still made this recommendation. He was allowed to be released. This is this crazy thing of like. If you're in prison and you're like, I don't know, not shanking people in the cafeteria, people are like, oh, they're great. But like all of the things that are triggers for violent crime of that nature are not there. There's no children. There's no like pornography. Oh, there's probably pornography, but you know, not in the same way. You know, same social pressures. Chaos. You're a much more ordered facility. Right, exactly. And and you have a routine that you kind of follow and that takes up most of your day, I assume. All of this I know from watching Orange is the New Black. Um so, so like but my assumption would be that like that the rage and, and all sorts of the other stuff is just not really as present in a prison population because they're trying to, you know, they're trying to keep prisoners as calm and as on track as possible right. but there's a rigidity to that which I think is for a certain personality type as well and we talked about the idea that like you know he could probably he was probably pretty good at rule following but in the real world like 
all of that comes rushing back. You, like the real world is really stressful. You have to worry about bills. You have to worry about where you're going to live, what you're going to do, what your job is, how you're going to eat. Um, you have to worry about the people you interact with. If you have fucking weird, disgusting, murderous urges, you have opportunity suddenly, which you don't really have in prison. Mm. Like there are guns and knives and stuff lying all over the place. Um, and there are people all over the place too. And I, and I, just I don't want to come to your house anymore. Guns and knives lying everywhere. <laughs> All over the place. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to teach children early not to play with mummy's stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, what we're talking about is a routine that he can follow. It's probably why he did just fine in the military in terms of, you know, he was putting together supply chains and had a, had a clear list of things to do and people checking off on him. As soon as this, you know, this wife leaves, it's all hell breaks loose. So, um, it's what uh, in criminal minds they would call a stressor. Ah, ah, stressful behaviors. I got it. So yeah, so uh, so he gets another girlfriend, which I, I you know, who is dating these men? <laughs> it, she seems like a very uh, lonely woman who who connected with him uh, as a pen pal in prison, um. and yeah, and. When he gets out, uh, the two try to move to a couple towns. They, they keep being rejected because people are like, we don't want this child murder in our town. So they keep getting thrown out. Fair there. enough. <laughs> um, so this is where it gets even more messed up. Um, in 1987, his parole officer secretly moves them uh, into Rochester and did not uh, notify the proper authorities um, that he was there. So normally I think you have to sign up on a registry and they keep an eye on you and... Um, you know, maybe prevent you from certain doing certain activities. And also, you know, you just become more of a suspect when certain things happen. So yeah. this guy prevented all of those measures from taking place and did not properly warn the townspeople that these folks were here. So uh, Arthur is living in Rochester with this woman. Uh, her name's Rose Marie Wally. And he's working in food prep. I think it's a mostly nighttime job because um, I don't think I mentioned this before. He's also, uh, he's really sensitive to light. He prefers nighttime. That's why he likes to ride his bicycle at night, which I think is also a stalking hunter prey thing. But he's, he is genuinely sensitive to light, but like kind of like a, I'm blinking my eyes a lot kind of thing. Yeah. He could be sensory. I don't want to mention my husband again, but my husband has light sensitivity. <laughs> I have some amount of light sensitivity. Um, you know, He's also not a murderer, though. Me neither, totally. Um, but I'm just saying, like, he's definitely gravitated to the night, I think, for a couple reasons, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. One, because it's more comfortable for him, too, but I think it fits his lifestyle as well. He's doing things like burglaries and arson and shady shit. So I think he likes to be out there for multiple reasons. Also, your wife is asleep, one would assume she's asleep while he's doing all of this stuff and like if he comes home at 1am or he comes home at 4am she's not going to know uh, my parents never did so like I think it's just more of the thing of you have so much more freedom to do shady shit at night most people's shady shit is like drinking cider in a park and like kissing a boy but you know his is arson burglary and eventually murder I guess to each his own. So, um, <laughs> you know, he, man, I can't believe this. He gets another girlfriend on the side. So he's got two gals at this time. How, what, how, is he, is he hot? No, I've seen a picture of him. He's not, in my opinion, maybe 1950s 
to 1980s, maybe hot. I don't. We we'll gotta put a picture, put on, a picture on Instagram, and people gotta vote for this because, like, I don't. I mean, I guess he didn't tell the girlfriend, the second girlfriend, that he was a child murderer. I just can't imagine like this, like weirdo, awkward. I put women's heads on pikes in Vietnam. I'm out of jail. I cycle around on my weird bicycle at night guy and then like women are just swooning for him i don't get the sense that these were ladies who were um catches themselves i think she was a lot older than him she was like so old that people were you know pretty confused as to why they were a couple like i think she was in her 60s um a bit of an older lady who was looking for companionship you know i mean she's she's like hey i'm an older independent lady like I, I just, you know, I enjoy a fella that I like in my bed and she went for it. I think she knew she knows about the other girlfriend. And um, I think eventually when she finds out about his activities, she's like, I don't believe it. I think this woman's like, wow. I got a good thing. I'm just going to put up with whatever because I'm happy with my decisions. So <clears throat> I just don't get I don't totally get it, but different lifestyles. And I think Rose is, you know, she uh is on to that something else is going on and she's not happy about it but she doesn't leave him either so i'm like what is this guy got going on here i i don't see it i kind of see the rose thing because i think with rose all right so if this uh, let's imagine rose was our friend and she tells us a story she's a pen pal she's she meets this guy she's pen paling him and at first she's just like, yeah, I'm just trying to help out somebody, blah, blah, like, yeah. And then we're like, yeah, whatever. And then she gets more and more like, he's really sweet. Look at this letter he wrote me. I'm going to go visit him. And we're like, Rose, come on. And then she's like, we're in love. We're going to get married in prison. We're like, Rose, like, you've lost your mind. <laughs> don't, don't do this. Like, he's a, ch- he's a child murderer and a child rapist. He raped and murdered two children. Like, you just don't want to be involved with that. That's crazy. And I can imagine so many people in her life that knew that story being like, Rose, like, what are you doing? Don't move to Rochester for many reasons, but also don't move there because it's the only place a parole officer could find that wouldn't run you out of the town with pitchforks. Like, just, you know, come back to your normal life. And so she would have to tell herself a story that like he either didn't do it or it was Vietnam and he had PTSD and he was totally changed and her love had reformed him. And so when it started to to kind of realise that that was all bunk and she'd been sold a story and he was just like a murderer, then I can see how she'd want to deny it. I think it's that cognitive dissonance thing. I mean, we're seeing a ton of cognitive dissonance in 2020, right? Very true. Yeah, um, it's like that woman, you know. I didn't think they'd eat my face, said the woman who voted for leopards eating faces party. <laughs> <laughs> it can, it can happen just like that. Yeah, exactly. I think she's a little bit of like, no, like he's changed. Like, look at my sweet love. I'm Rose. Like, I've I've saved him from all that. Oh wait. I don't know why there's blood in the laundry room. He must have had a nosebleed. Because you can't admit that you were just an idiot. Right. That, like you were just duped by a murderer. It's pretty horrific on its own to feel like you're part of this lifestyle. So I can I can understand the 
the survival instinct to believe that none of it's true because if any little bit of it's true that's a crack in the in the reality right it's a it's a crack in your reality and your worldview and the way you see yourself rose i get kinky granny i'm not sure about (laughs) i think kinky granny was like i don't give a fuck i mean (laughs) i don't know how much she knew but i i think she was definitely like whatever dude brings it home and brings it right i guess for her (laughs) sure for her i, I mean, guess I don't know. for her i mean i don't know what she was looking for uh but she didn't believe it either right so he must right. have been pretty must have been pretty charming to her for her to be like no what are you talking about i think he's a skilled liar and like obstinate yeah. you know he's like no it's just not true and it's up to you to like what is she gonna go do out like go out and prove it like she's she's not that kind of person right so well, kinky granny no she's not that kind of person yeah she's not gonna go follow him and like she doesn't want it to be real no she wants i think also there's probably a cognitive distance there of just like you know i've caught this younger man it's fun and exciting and i don't begrudge anybody that and people would be like what's wrong with him like why is he dating you what why is he dating a woman 30 years older than him yeah and then it's like oh yeah because he's a murderer like, Which is not always true, but in this case, true. not all, not always true. And you know, age gap relationships are totally whatever, as long as both of you are adults. But I, I do think it's a little bit of kind of like she wanted it's it's something she wanted it to be not true, and she wanted this perfect love, and so she's willing to overlook all this stuff and make it happen for herself. If this is me in thirty years, you need to slap me real hard. Just like straight, just crack it straight across the face. I'm no, I'm gonna take you to the roundabout. No matter where you're in the world, I'm gonna take you to the roundabout and like this is your future. If you don't snap out of it, this could be you. This could be you. This could be me defecating in a suitcase <laughs> on a bridge on in Soma. Yeah. If I don't get rid of my murderous 30-year-old boyfriend. Yeah. Snap out of it. This is maybe the least of what could happen to you, is that you're you wind up in the roundabout. Yeah, he could murder me because that's what he does, and uh, he's using this girlfriend on the side of his regular girlfriend, and he's taking her car, which she's more than happy to loan him. And this time he's driving, so he's driving. He is spending every night. He's uh, driving around and picking up sex workers, and he has a lot of issues there. Where he starts off, and it seems like business as usual, but he usually cannot finish the job. Uh, it's frustrating to him. Something is not working for him. Uh, and then he begins, uh, he changes his profile for victims and he starts killing uh, mainly sex workers instead of children. I believe it was at least one or two who were not known sex workers, but most of them were. Because as we know, this is a, a population that gets uh, profiled and um, you know is extremely vulnerable to these kind of acts because of their transient and um, secretive, you know, due to the nature of their profession and you know, uh, um, <clears throat> a lot of them are just trying to do what they can to survive from whatever backgrounds and whatever their situations are. And, um, you know, he definitely understood as a predator that this was a vulnerable popu- population and took advantage of that. So the police are, are trying, they, they start to see a pattern. Um, 
at least that they know that these women, a lot of them are involved in sex working. And so they at least try to focus on this area and do surveillance as much as possible. They're actually working with the women. And yeah, like you said, a lot of them at first are distrustful or don't want to participate because, you know, I mean, like you said, like, think about, man, everything is about your, your, your pay and any disruption to that. It's not like a nine to five job where you can just say, sure, like I'll forego whatever I'm doing. And, um, do this whole other thing or participate in this work that disrupts my paycheck. Um, you know, they just don't have that kind of luxury. And so it was, it was difficult getting it started up, but you know, they did try to help and um, the police, they tried to help the police. And so they're surveilling, but they just can't seem to catch him. Um, one of the most disturbing things I find is that Shawcross. So we kind of saw this earlier. He doesn't really hide his victims in a way um you know, he kind of puts them usually done by streams or water or in woods or just kind of covered up a little bit, but it's not like he's taking great lengths to like bury them underground. A lot of times they might be just kind of pushed out of the way. So they're, it's not like they're in the middle of the road, but they can be found. And I think a lot of that is so that he can visit them later and gross either come back directly to the bodies or at least to the area. And it's something he can get to and, uh, and either, do some dealings with these victims or at least kind of relish and visit the sites again, which we've seen with like son of Sam, um, Ted Bundy did that, you know, it's, it's, it's a common thing for some of these serial killers. Just to relive their crimes and, and also re-victimize these women. And I think that that second part is just like the most horrible part of it. It's, it's not only that he, he did this to these women. It's not only that he took their lives away, their future away, that he took them from their families, but even after he just dumps these poor women like trash, he has to like re-victimize them by going back, by gloating, by burning his morning paper. And I just can't feel enough for these poor women that are just doing whatever they can to make a living. And are in, you know, rough circumstances. It just makes me really sad. It's horrible, for sure. And it just seems to go on and on. And I can, you know, the stress of the people who are working in this area, having knowing they have to be out there, the police who are trying to catch him. Um, and here's this guy just, you know, doing what makes him the happiest and, like I said, re-victimizing over and over. So um, <clears throat> they finally kind of catch a break in that around, like, 1990, they start to figure out that he's maybe revisiting and that he's coming back. Um, and so they, they try to do like some stakeouts of areas that they think he'll be at. Um, or if they find a body, they're like, let's maybe do a controversial thing where we see if he comes back. Um, and so when they find the body of this one uh, sex worker, her name's June Cicero, she's known around, um, her, her disappearance was definitely felt. And so folks were like, maybe we have another one. And they start to surveil this area that they think he might be in. Sure enough, from a helicopter, they spot him on a bridge where he shouldn't be. There's no good reason for him to be there. He's urinating over the side of this bridge into the area where he left her body. Oh, my God. Yeah. This guy is, uh, as we say, a pure shitbag. So they, they arrest him and uh, they're like, hey, we got you. And he, they charge him for 10 of the murders because they think that's the cases that they can make, even though we 
you know, we know he's done, he's already served time for two, even though it's tragically short and they didn't think they could make the case against another two. Um, but they charge him for 10. He pleads not guilty by reason of insanity. He claims to have brain damage, PTSD from his time in um, Vietnam. He claims also to have multiple personality disorder and that he was sexually abused as a child. I mean, um, the multiple personality disorder thing is just such bullshit. Right. Like, I know it's a real disorder and that people have it, but it's really easy to tell if you're a trained professional if you have it or not. And that, that was a strange thing because, like, of course, he had had no previous diagnosis. He had no issues. Not a single person in his life could report that he had any inkling of this, much less a full-blown case of this that affected him so greatly. Um, not a single shred of that. And he had convinced at least one psychiatrist that he did have it, but luckily the jury didn't buy that. And they did buy the testimony of Robert Ressler, who I think we know is, um, <clears throat> I think he was, you know, he's kind of uh, portrayed in some of the Mindhunter stuff, I think aspects of his career. And um, he's uh, credited with the early development of profiling. Um, and he said the PTSD was outrageous, totally untrue based off his wartime records and experiences. Um, so he's just not buying it. He testifies to that. And the jury also, you know, agrees. And so they convict him of all 10 counts. He's sentenced to 20, sorry, 250 years in prison. Yay. Um, some justice there. Um, now here's where it starts to get weird kind of again. And this was actually the most mm. interesting part of his story to me. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So this was the most interesting part of the story to me of Arthur Shawcross. So, you know, you have these, if he's making a medical claim, you've got both sides working uh, prosecution defense to say, uh, you know, what's real, what's not. And so they're starting to do all these tests on him, um, biological tests and psychiatric tests. And they did determine that there was some brain damage evident, but not enough to make him in, unfit for trial or not responsible for his crimes. So we're starting to see some of that. Okay. And then they also did this test, which they kind of just said, give me the whole gamut. And this was thrown in there. But the discovery is 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 very interesting. He's got two other components, which are um, he's got the XYY syndrome. And uh, which means he has an X, uh, extra Y chromosome in each cell. And studies have shown that this syndrome is apparent in high numbers of prison populations deemed violent and dangerous. Um, the effects in the brain have shown to be present in men with extremely negative reactions to stress. Ding, 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 mm -hmm. which we've seen, a propensity for arson, sexual criminality, and violence. And obviously, we're not saying, and they're not saying that this is all people who have this syndrome, but they've seen some facts and figures to say, wow, a lot of people in prison who are doing these kind of things also have this. So, very interesting, right? Um, the other thing, which was this way uh, even even smaller kind of um, incidents that blew up much bigger is they did this test and found he had um, this really high level of something called cryptopyrrole. 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 It's kind of like this fire oil in the blood is like the Latin translation. Oh. And this, this poor psychiatrist who's trying to like track down all the stuff he can't find anybody who's like he's like what is this and a lot of people don't even know because it's, it's just not like a common thing that gets tested for but it basically eradicates the zinc and phosphate catalysts in your body and that affects the development of serotonin dopamine and a lot of these other mm -hmm. kind of brain chemicals so 
uh, it's recognized as a biochemical marker of psychiatric dysfunction and can identify individuals at risk, high risk for becoming violent, low tolerance for stress and loss of control. Wow. We're seeing some stuff here, right? He had like 10 times what he should have had in his body uh, at the time That's when they took the test. Crazy. Yeah. His brain chemistry was just totally out of whack. Yeah. And seems like it maybe had been that way since birth. Yeah. But I think it also does kind of, exp- you know, I was like, these crimes seem weird. But then it starts to kind of explain the progression of that because his, you know, your your receptors start to kind of like, if your brain chemistry is just off for like a really long period of time, it can like, you know, really aggravate that. Um, was he never medicated? I believe he's maybe one of those who, uh, if he was, didn't keep up with the regimen. Yeah, I can imagine that. But they didn't know any of this stuff until much, much later, too. I mean, this was just on a, on a whim that they even found this. And it took a long time to figure out what it even was um, and how it might affect him. Um, I think all of us have just maybe like a tiny, tiny bit that um, gets, you know, naturally flushed out of our system. But he was holding large amounts of it um, in his system. And yeah, so he's just someone who just was never going to be able to thrive in an, in an outside stressful kind of chaotic world that we live in. Um, now certainly doesn't excuse what he did with that, but he was always going to have some kind of issue unless he was working really hard to be in a regimented low stress environment. So, which, you know, in prison, they also say that he did really well, the, 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 he did really well in this kind of idea of you have a strict timetable, you know what's going to happen, uh, everything's regulated for you, uh, you know, he could shut off the lights at certain times, things like that. So he did well there, at least showing promise of this seems to work for me. <clears throat> but it starts to come out in 2003, he did an interview with a British reporter, actually, who was doing a documentary on cannibalism and he opened oh, favorite subject. <laughs> it's all coming back um everybody knows how much i love food and murders so <laughs> lepers eating the face um we're gonna get back dark again that was, that was leopards everybody before leopards. people were in it was not lepers <laughs> you said lepers it was not lepers like she's saying like like they're zombies now because i was no. like i never remember hearing that no, leprosy is a terrible disease, yeah. and I'm very sorry if you have it. Uh, as a Catholic, I know a shit ton about leprosy. Okay. It was <laughs> <laughs> true story. Leopards eat in your face because they're leopards and they're big cats and they like to munch on you. Not at all implying that people with leprosy also are zombies. <laughs> I'm so glad that we cleared that I'm up. I'm really glad we cleared that up. You after about what was going on there. No, yeah, no. Leopards, not lepers. Sorry, anybody who has leprosy, it's a terrible illness. Very true. Um, so it comes out in this interview, and there's evidence to back this up with how the bodies, some of them, there was some of them, there's not enough evidence, but some did show signs that he did what he told this reporter, which was that he'd eaten the vulva of three of his victims. That's just not okay. 
it's definitely not okay. Uh, it's pretty disgusting. And I felt my entire body like contract when you said that. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I read it, I was like, oh, this is coming. Oh, gross. Uh, this guy, this guy, where does it end? Um, yeah, I think he's just got like a real, he's got a real problem. That's for sure. It's definitely got a problem. So did Rose divorce him? That's the only thing I want to know. <laughs> You know what? I got to go back and check that. Oh, man, I'm glad you asked. Let me update you guys in the next episode about that one because I I don't remember from the book and I didn't put that in here. So no worries. Soon. Um, (laughs) I think it's a valid question to ask at that point. You know, and he did. There's definitely like three of the female uh, adult women that this, you know, he claims to have done this on. They asked about the children and he just refused to comment on this aspect of it, which I'm kind of grateful for because horrifying, but, yeah. uh, you know, he definitely was like, I don't want to talk about that. So <sighs> where did he take them? So he was abducting them in Rose's car mm-hmm. and then was he, ki- and was he killing them in the car or like in the woods and then dumping them? Yeah, I think it was Kinky Granny's car for the most part. I think, you know, it might have been a combination of both, but he definitely was using Kinky Granny's car because no, I think not as many people knew about her. And so they would definitely go search Rose's car. So I know he was picking up the sex workers and at least doing some amount of activity there in the car, but it seems like the actual killing was happening outside of the car. I bet Rose, uh, bet Kinky Granny also had a bigger car. She probably had a big old lady station wagon. Yeah. Another thing I'll have to make sure to update on the exact specifics of. She probably had like an old mobile or something. Here's what I know. I don't know. Did Rose divorce him? Did Rose and Kinky Granny share visiting hours with him in the prison? And three, did Kinky Granny own an old lady car or a regular person car? Got it. I will update you on these things. <laughs> Thank you. I think some of the strangulations, because that was one way that he did murder. I think some of that happened in the car. But I think where, you know, some of these slicing and mutilation type things happen. Right. It's just, it's just messy thing to do in someone else's car. Right. Like, I don't want people eating fast food in my car. Not, not that I own a car because I can't drive. But if you did. But if I did, I'd be a bit like, don't, like, don't get it all stinky and messed up. And so I would notice pretty quickly. I'd be like, what's this? So if you're taking the time to prepare yourself a meal, it, it's definitely something that takes you know, it's messy. It takes time. Yeah. Agreed. And I don't think that he had, I mean, we're talking about like also a loss of control, right? So he's probably doing the strangulation, but he- when he's in control, he's probably moving them and thinking a little bit more clearly then. And so. And he likes to revisit. So who yeah. knows what the hell he's doing? Oh my God. He's so gross. He's Those poor women. I can't imagine what they went through. Here's another thing he did. No, it's starting, we're starting to wind down. So he got in trouble because, you know, they have these arts and crafts kind of sessions in this prison that he was at to, I guess, give them some. I didn't know where you were going to go. And I was like, <laughs> I can't even breathe. <laughs> he was making arts and crafts. He's painting, he's doing signatures, he's creating little craft items, and then he's selling them like on eBay and profiting on his infamy which is just disgusting his arts and crafts privileges were taken away because people found it repugnant as do i so i know some people are really into that i think it's really weird i don't want a popsicle log cabin made by a murderer okay 
One more thing. To, one more thing to add to the list. I want you to find one of these items, and I want an art as an art manager. I want your artistic <laughs> opinion on it. Okay. I think <laughs> I heard uh, that there was maybe like a painting he'd done a princess die. Uh, absolutely. I I I I absolutely want an artistic critique on this painting for the next <laughs> next card. I can do that. I just find it, yeah, I mean, him profiting and, like, kind of using this as a way to relive his his notoriety is just disgusting. Um, if you were someone who was, like, I want to visit, say, like, Salem and understand this historical or, like, like we do, understand, try to, try to understand, make sense, and maybe even, like, you know, find some, some purpose or just, we're talking about these stories because they're of interest, but I'm not going to hang this dude's painting in my house. That, but that's just me. I don't think they would go with your decor either. No, probably. I mean, I, I, you know, I need to see it to be sure. But yeah, like I said, I want a critique of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can do that. I think we can do that. Um, so you know, shortly after his arts and crafts privileges were taken away, rightfully so, uh, he died in two thousand eight from a heart attack. So brilliant. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that all worked out nicely. Yeah, a good fitting end to the uh, Rochester Strangler? The Genesee River Killer. Oh, the Genesee? Yeah. Like, Genesee River Killer. Yeah. Nice. I, I just know as Arthur Shawcross, which I think a lot of people will recognize if you're into this podcast and maybe have read some true crime. I didn't know this one, but uh, yeah, that was excellent. And, um, and the surprise cannibalism was my favorite part. <laughs> Surprise. Always oh, my favorite part. <laughs> the hits keep coming. So, uh, yeah, so I recommend that book. Um, he's kind of got, you know, there's a lot out there on him, but I think that book does a good job of uh, some of the details of his story that make for the most interesting parts. Like, we're always trying to understand, like, man, what led to this or, you know, what was behind this? I, I think a lot of our listeners maybe feel the same way. Um, and so there's a lot of detail in there about those kind of details that you could infer from so awesome yeah. should we end on a bit of a lighter note yes please uh are you watching anything cool got any tv show recommendations music? oh man uh i'm watching perry mason oh so yeah. what yeah. do you think of it so far i like it i'm fascinated by that time period you know there's a lot of stuff out there right now there's uh also a penny dreadful um, City of Angels is also in kind of 1930s Los Angeles. HBO is obviously, it's a little bit darker and grittier. Um, Showtime's dark, pretty dark and gritty too, but there's also kind of a, like a light family joy that runs through a lot of it. Um, the Perry Mason, as you probably, you know, he's this down on his luck kind of much grittier than I think I remember maybe my grandmother enjoying. It was pretty gritty. I mean, uh, here's the thing, you know, we we both work there, but like HBO, like we kind of like I get HBO. Like mm -hmm. I get their aesthetic. I understand how it works. I like totally get it. And so I was totally unsurprised during some of the kind of more racy aspects of it. Gratuitously racy, whatever, doesn't bother me. I did think that in the opening scene where you see kind of the the victim um and it flashes to the victim and you see like what's the mutilation hmm. i thought it was a bit much i was pretty shocked that they showed that yeah 
and I and I I thought it was a bit unnecessary, like honestly. And then to do it again in the morgue, like with the with the real clothes, I was like, I was like, if you're going to do it in the morgue, I don't think you need to do it earlier. And I actually think it would have added more tension if they kind of built it up, built it up, built it up, and then you see it in the morgue. I think doing it twice, it was just like, oh yeah, that's that upsetting imagery from the start. So those are the two things I didn't like. I, there are a load of characters I really like. Everybody knows, well, everyone should know how much I love John Lithgow. So just seeing him do anything <laughs> is amazing. Everyone should know that for sure. I would just watch him read the dictionary. So I, I'm loving the list go. I love the time period too. I think all of that's really good. Uh, you know, I love a little bit of old Hollywood kind of craziness. My favorite bit is the Hollywood Christmas party. <laughs> that's a great. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I definitely, uh, I definitely was a little bit like, I don't know if I want that part of it. But I, I did like the second episode um, a lot, and but yeah, it's good. I uh, haven't watched the Penny Dreadful spin-off, but it's got my girlfriend in it, Marjorie Tyrrell. Yes, Natalie Dormer. She's pretty fantastic. Um, I'm sure she was pretty excited to take that role because it offers her a lot of... Um, she actually plays many roles uh, in that show, and I, I will try not to spoil it too much, but she kind of goes from very different types of women that she's playing, and I think she uh, does a great job with it. And it's pretty interesting. So check it out. And I'd love yeah. to know what you think and what our listeners think. Um, and it's interesting because those time periods are the same. They actually intersect a little bit with some of the historical happenings, and but they handle them differently. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's doubly interesting if you're if you're into that time period. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Oh, we forgot to have science hour. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. We'll save this for next time. But okay. um if anyone is or isn't watching the new, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you blatantly are uh, watching the new Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about it. I am basically love the intro beyond all measure. It gives me chills. It reminds me of being the kid again. It's why I got into true crime. So I'm loving, loving, loving that part of it. I do think that it's compelling. I... I'm very frustrated by the idea that they have no experts. They have like no they have like no scientists. They have no like cryptographers. Like they're introducing these concepts and they're they're like stating fact around stuff, which I think is not like scientifically accurate or factual. Um, so I, I was going to have a little bit of a, a bit of a science rant, but you can look forward to my science rant for the future. Um, but like I, I honestly kind of like got so annoyed about some of this the other day. I was like, should I make like a papier mache man and throw it out of my sunroom? Yes, yes, you should. Because <laughs> I, I was like, I was trying to convince somebody that like something was just like absolutely mathematically possible, and they were like so adamant that it was not that I was like, I'm literally gonna like make, I'm gonna buy a mannequin. <laughs> throw it off my roof um because yeah lateral jumping like a horizontal jump from standing and a jump off a 300 odd foot roof are, are very different um but yeah anyway that's probably all the science rant anyone needs but essentially unsolved mysteries you're very atmospheric you're very fun i need more science i don't right. think you can say any of these things as fact have you watched it yet? Yes, I've watched four episodes now. I know exactly okay. the one that you're talking about. 
And I, I mean, I think coming back to this cognitive dissonance, like even if you proved it to this guy, would he want to believe it? Or is he just so into the like, I need it to be this alternate theory. Yeah. I don't believe it. And I think also with that first episode in particular, the family clearly want an answer, which is not the answer that they're getting. And um, I just feel really terrible for them. But I, I mean, I, I can't see this as, as a giant grand conspiracy. Like it, it reads so much like a man who is going through a psychosis. Um, and that's just really tragic and terrible. I do really, really hope that some of the cases seem crackable, they seem solvable if somebody speaks, the Alfonso in particular, and I really, really hope his family gets some answers. I thought that was really heartbreaking. It also just really reminds me of being kind of that age and going to weird parties and always having to make sure that you've got a ride and that type of thing and that it's just so something that could happen to anyone. Like I have nieces that age, I have nephews that age, and, and like I think it's it just really broke my heart. The it'll be interesting and I really, really hope that somebody comes forward and, and that case gets solved. His family really need the closure. Um I thought that was a really interesting episode and a really good one. I must admit, episode two, I was pretty shocked. Yeah. Definitely worth a watch, even if you haven't, if you have no interest in true crime whatsoever, just to see a man with a giant bag talking about his dead ex-wife. This was the um, the one in Georgia. The hairdresser. Yeah, oh, yeah, the hair. No, you're right. It was a hair salon. Yeah, yeah. That one was. That one was rough because um, there's like a couple people that are like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. But there's also this guy and, you know, there's some weird shit going on there for sure. That guy's a shit bag. Like, no, no matter like if he did it or not, he should just go to jail for being a shit bag. Yes, like, he is a shit bag. <laughs> everything he does after it happens to his poor stepson, like total shit bag. Yeah, and, like, that poor guy. If you're out there and you want a family, like me and my husband have talked about it, we're happy to adult adopt you. We always have a ton of leftovers at Christmas. We got plenty of space in the house. Like if you want some parents, we'll do it. Like we'll hold your hand. We'll like drive you to shit. We'll like make, remember your birthday. We'll do everything. We'll give you a call on New Year's Day and ask you if you need black eyed peas. We'll do all the shit because like you deserve better than the hand that you were dealt. It's fucking sucks. Yeah. I've seen them. They're good parents, except for that creepy bicycle riding at night, but they're good parents. <laughs> the light sensitivity. <laughs> and they weird six foot deep holes in their garden. The arts and crafts. Um, yeah, that one was particularly frustrating because I really wanted it to be solved. I felt like it could be solved and, um, you know, it's out there and I really wanted it for Pistol and his family and his poor dad. And, uh, you know, not that I didn't want it in the other ones, but, um, I felt yeah. like, I felt like we were right on the verge. So, um, and, and like, it was possible, like, like you said, like if it's a suicide in the first episode, then it's probably, you know, it's at this point, they're probably not going to find if they haven't already found confirmation of that. So. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, but I'm, it was, I, I think it's definitely, it's definitely been worth a watch. Yeah. 
Um, and I've definitely enjoyed it. And it's nice to have a little bit of a true crime injection of just new new stuff because I can't keep watching old forensic files. Right, yeah. And I'm especially excited too because we could potentially, like the other series, the previous series, they had people and they would do updates on saying, due to your, your call-ins, we've solved this case. Just like, like Golden State Killer. I mean, I feel like everybody felt you know, really good about a resolution happening there and that we had progressed as a society and scientifically and, and that felt good to bring closure to that situation. Um, and so we could see that and that would be really exciting uh, for this day and age. And coinciding with timing of the full confession being uh, stated for the Golden State Killer as well. So it's a good time for science slash true crime. Yeah, I, w- I watched that on Facebook Live uh, in a true weird 2020 is a weird time uh, thing. Um, you know, it's always good when they mentioned a small penis and people were jack clapping. Um, <laughs> it's definitely a bit of an interesting thing. Did you watch the Michelle um, McNamara docu? Yeah, I've seen episode one. I read the book. Um, and so it kind of follows the book so far. Um, and I was glad that they already started bringing in the officer from the original case um, that she worked with. And, um, I, that was really good to see because I did need a bit of a reprieve from poor Patton and her family and friends. Like, it's just so heartbreaking. Yeah. I, 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 look, I found episode one really hard. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to admit it. I found it hard and I found it slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm hoping that that series picks up a little bit because I think she would, I think she would want it to be a little bit more focused on her true passions which was the kind of crime aspects etc so i'm hoping it picks up a little bit i you know i can i can see it as a as a broad introduction to the all the amazing work that michelle did but i did i was a little bit like i don't know if this is gonna be yeah i mean that that was kind of how the book started was she was kind of trying to say like here's how i got into this um you know and i think i think for folks like us who do this podcast it's kind of a weird thing maybe um for people who don't like it and don't get into it but for us it's a fascination uh-huh um mm-hmm. but you know it's also can be a dark uh kind of topic and so while there's humor and there's light and there's darkness and it's all together very interesting i think explaining to other folks can be hard sometimes i think she's trying to say like here's how i got into this here's why i got into this and then the book does go a lot into the investigation and stuff like that. yeah i hope so um and i and i just you know she just sounded like a wonderful person and it makes me sad um and seeing her daughter and everything was was really hard um but that's a personal issue. But they did get anyway. into it with that cop. Um, that cop. Um, I, I I thought he was really cool, especially for um, some of his uh, time. He was doing all these techniques that we could get into maybe as further episodes go. But um, I was glad to see he's already popping up and that he's participating in the show. So more to come on that. Absolutely. Well, April episode. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mary. Yeah. Uh, fun to share that story with you in all of its twists and turns. Please like, rate, subscribe, and also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, every other social platform, darkfascination.com. Tell your friends, tell other people, tell the entire universe, tweet about it, do all sorts of stuff, make people listen to us because, you know, we're, we're very fragile humans and we need positive reinforcement. That's just me. Nope, it's true. It's how we <laughs> found each other. That's why we get it all. 
Uh, bye, and we'll see you next week. Yep, have a good one. Bye-bye.